This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, "Eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And this is your Southern Remedy program where you can call in with any type of healthcare issue that you might have a question about. That's right. You can call in with questions about symptoms, about medications, about a new diagnosis, or maybe it's just you just don't know what to do, or maybe some preventive things. Or if you're not able to call, you can always email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. <clears throat> Hope everybody's having a great morning this New Year morning. So happy New Year to everyone. It's going to take me a long time. You know, I still have to, uh, in the age of digital everything, I still have to put the date down from time to time on different forms. It'll be a while before Dr. Jimmy catches up with the new year. I usually lag behind about two months. Um, if that tells you anything about me, but um, I'm sort of a creature of a habit with the way I write. So, um, But I do hope hope you're taking the time to uh, reflect and to uh, think about some of the things that you may want to do differently in this new year, and particularly those things that can improve your health. There's plenty to do. I know that's uh, something that a lot of different people end up reflecting on and thinking about. And uh, it's always an interesting time for me. I, I usually forget about it. Like the first time back in January to the gym, uh, which for me was yesterday, um, yesterday, late at yesterday afternoon, early evening. And I went to go swim and I was like, why is it so crowded here? Um, usually it's not this crowded. And I thought, oh, it's the new year. Everybody has new res- uh, New Year's resolutions that they're trying to fulfill. So uh, stick with those. Uh, find a peer group. Find other people that can hold you accountable and um And uh, stick with that because uh, those things can make a big impact in your life. We tend to uh, give it uh, wide open, uh, so to speak, on uh, the topics that we'll consider pretty much with whatever you uh, whatever you ask, if it's related to health care. And uh, we'll try to get you the answers or steer you in the right direction. I don't always I know it's sort of shocking to people, but I don't always have all the answers to things. And uh, I like a good question that I can't answer. That's sort of the I guess I always liked Sherlock Holmes uh uh, novellas and uh, and short stories growing up, and uh, still like that. Uh, we, in fact, we had one conference for a while in the medical center, uh, mainly with the residencies. It's sort of a stump the chump uh, type of uh, conference where you would bring unknowns to people, and they would try to uh, try to solve those. Let's go to our first caller, Richard from Laurel. Good morning, Richard. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I just, uh, I, you know, every morning I, I set alarm clock and, uh, like the internal alarm clock wakes me up and my stomach starts hurting. And I uh, just recently, I, you know, I just got a poop. I mean, it's like every morning, seven days a week. Is that normal? 
Yeah, it can be. Uh, now, certain things will stimulate you to uh, eliminate yourself there, eliminate things that you need to, and that can be sort of a learned behavior by the body. Um, now, normally with the pain, if if you do have I – mean, abdominal pain could be lots of different things. So it can hurt further up. It can hurt all over the place. But the actual cause of what's causing that pain is sometimes a bit elusive. And uh, you can have, you know, pain at the top of your abdomen and uh, what most people would call their stomach right underneath their rib cage. If it if it's typically a burning sort of gnawing pain, that is leads you more to suspect things like gastritis, which is an irritation in the lining of your stomach. And it wouldn't necessarily be connected to your bowel movement frequency or when you would have those. But um, I know a lot of people that say, hey, it's, it's sort of correlated with that. But if it were me, I, if it is sort of that burning type pain, I might take an antacid the night before. Because when you lay flat, there's more of a chance for all those gastric juices to sort of, uh, you know, to sort of go back up in the lower part of the esophagus. And that can lead to some stomach pains just because it's in the same area. If your stools are hard then some of the pain might be from that. When you get stuff sort of backed up and the intestines are trying to push it out and they can't do that as well, you can get sort of a crampy type intermittent pain that comes with that. But if your bowel movements are fine, I mean, that's probably, that may just be your normal, you know, everybody wants to ask, you know, what's normal bowel movements? How many should you normally have? It can be normal anywhere from several times a day to once a week. And it really depends on the individual person. It depends on the diet and what they're eating. Uh, in, as long as that stool is formed but soft and not hard, then that's a normal bowel movement. So uh, typically, you know, that's sort of individualized. So, Richard, I would say if the stomach pain is sort of more of that burning pain, I would take an antacid like Pepsid uh, the night before and see if that doesn't alleviate that. But as far as the bowel movements first thing in the morning, long as there's no blood in there, if they're not, you know, hard or anything, I think that's probably okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yes, sir. And thank you for calling. We're going to go to Lyle in Brandon. Good morning, Lyle. Good morning. Yes, sir. What's your question this morning? I, uh, I just recently had my prostate removed eight weeks ago, and then two weeks ago I had part of my kidney removed, and four days ago... I've had this excruciating sciatic nerve pain, and they don't seem to think it was related to the operation, so I'm assuming just laying in the recliner and taking it easy has done something to put all this pain in my down my leg into my calf. Yeah, Lyle, I would I would tend to agree with that um, because the the sciatic nerve, so it comes out. It's a big nerve. It's the lar- one of the larger nerves that that uh, feed down the the leg, but where it comes out, it it comes out of your spine uh, through little holes in the vertebrae, and then it goes down the backside, and it has this little sciatic notch in your pelvis, uh, the bony part of your pelvis that it sort of goes through. And because it's on the backside where it sort of curves around before it goes down the leg, any kind of pressure on that over time will will uh, give you the, the pain that you're having. And usually people would say it's very characteristic. They point to right there at that sciatic notch in the lower part of their, of their, uh, of their pelvis or their right. backside. 
And it can like radiate down. When I say radiate, I mean it. It it goes down. Like it starts there, and that you know, in your pelvis. Right, but then that's it, what it does. That's it. Yeah. So what? Any, I mean, it just does something over time that'll. Yeah, most of the most of the time that does. Now you do want to. I would sort of shift around. You know, if you're if you're recovering from sur- two surgeries like that, they probably didn't want you moving around a whole lot. But uh, yeah. particularly how you're laying in that recliner, you may just adjust that a little bit so that you're not laying directly on that that leg where you're having the problems with the sciatic nerve yeah. as much. And then probably, you know, usually, unless they've told you differently, one or two weeks out, you should be getting up and getting around, you know, a lot more after oh, that. Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm getting around. Good. No problem. It just, if it, that pain is terrible. If it, if it stays there more than two or three weeks, then I would say you may need to go and see somebody. And honestly, yeah. your primary care doctor may be the one to go see first because a lot of times they can do, we can do an injection right there in the office of a steroid injection right around yeah. that uh, nerve and it'll decrease the inflammation that you're having. And sometimes that just does All the right. trick. But yeah, I would, All right. if it's more than two or three weeks, I get it checked on. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, Lyle. Thank you for calling. We're going to go to Tom from Brandon. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Happy New Year. To you too, sir. Thank you. Uh, before I ask my question, I got a little backstory here. I was listening to public radio at the 11 o'clock hour on a different day uh, during one of the health sessions, and they were talking immunizations. And they mentioned a website that you may have mentioned on your broadcast, but uh, I wasn't listening at that time, apparently. It's called myirmobile.com. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I am. I haven't gone to it recently, um, but that is that is one that uh, that I have, you know, a lot of my patients will, will have, the, I have the access to that. Yes. So, so I went there, of course curious to see what it provided for me and i got my history of immunizations you know my uh zoster shots uh my flu shots my rsv that i got recently last year and the two shots for covid and then the other four but it's a little confusing because i have a section called immunization needs and one of them says COVID-19. Uh, I've already had, like I say, the dual beginning shots and then four others, the last booster being in October uh, of 23. Is it, you know, I keep hearing COVID's going to be like the flu. You get a shot every year. Is is it really, am I really due for another COVID shot? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you would be by what you told me. So the the way those databases work is they sort of have a standard set of things. And then some of that is, I think the way most of those have COVID set up is a is by time. Uh, and it's not necessarily all the way up to date on what you should get. So by what you told me, you're fine. Like there's not a newer vaccine out or a time period that most people would say at this point, you know, would protect you anymore. Um, and, and you do those pop up. Like when I pull a patient up on our system, it does a similar thing. So it'll say, uh, you know, these are the, these are the tests, things like, um, 
colonoscopy or other immunizations um, that they may need. But then I have to go back and just decide, okay, is that truly needed? Um, And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. Some of those vaccinations, the evidence is a lot stronger than others, too. Um, So, for instance, RSV is one of those. So if you are older and you have you're at risk, the way unless the language has changed, I haven't looked at it in a couple of weeks. uh, It basically says that you need to have a discussion with your doctor to see if it matches up with the need. And sometimes that would fit very well. With I've had those discussions with my patients. Uh, same thing with like a PSA. You know, if you're 85 and you don't have any kind of urinary symptoms, it's probably not. If I check a PSA, it's probably going to be really high in that individual just because of their age. So, um, uh, you know, it's not as useful a screening test for prostate cancer in that individual unless they have symptoms. But it might pop up as something on that database that says, hey, you you need this. But it really it really should say consider on a lot of those. But as far as COVID goes, from what you told me, having those first two and then the four after that with the last one in October, you should be good. Yeah, and now the, the other question is they show a, a do now for uh, pneumo, uh, PV, PCV13. Uh, is there a second shot that I should be getting for that? How old are you, Tom? Uh, 78. Okay. Did you already have the 25 or the – when was the last time you had a pneumonia shot? Do you know that? Uh, it shows here, I think, this is the date that it was in 2010. 2010. Okay. So, and it, you probably, there's a newer one out that is a little bit better. The serotypes in it are a little bit more specific to the types of pneumococcal bacteria that cause pneumonia. And it's called the, 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 uh, PCV 23. Uh, so you, you might, you, you might want to check just with your physician about that. That is one that has changed probably more than most over the last 10 years because of the newer vaccines that we've gotten out and the sequencing of it, particularly when we had the 25 and the 13 was, to be honest, it was confusing even to us doctors. We were like, okay, I don't get this. Like if you do have, sometimes if you had uh, diabetes or you had another chronic condition, the sequence would flip. So it's gotten a lot easier now, I think, with some of the other ones that came out. But if it's been 13, almost 14 years since you got that one, um, that may be one that you need with the newest one. And, yeah, and I'm, Go ahead. Of course, I'm, I'm thinking that I may have already gotten that one, but perhaps it's not been reported to this website. Uh, I'm a little confused about the website. And my last question is, TDAP, is that uh, – uh, Ten years. Ten years. The only other time that you might consider it is if you have a young, uh, if there's a baby being born in the family, you're going to spend some extended time with them uh, just because of the pertussis part of that protection in that. But every ten years, mainly that's for the tetanus portion, but the pertussis, we've seen some breakthrough cases. And usually for adults, that's just a bad cough, Uh, you know, maybe some shortness of breath with it. But with little ones, because of their airways and their immune systems, it can be a lot worse in them. So that would be the only other time I would do that. But your comment about is right about the things that are reported. 
because it, sometimes, you know, pharmacies get busy. Things might not be put in in real time if it's during a busy season where they're giving out a lot of vaccines or filling a lot of medications for that day. They may miss one or two people where that information is not put into a database. Same thing with some physicians' offices. Sometimes they are connected and some aren't as well connected. So you're right. You do have to sort of double check that and make sure you hadn't got it. It's not probably not going to hurt you to get another one, but I mean, you know, if you don't need it, that's that's probably okay. Right. Is there another medical record that you can check to find that out? Wherever you normally get those vaccines, whether that's a pharmacy and or a clinic, um, that's where I would check because they may have some internal records that um, are a little bit different than that. Okay, well, that that answers all my questions, but I was a little confused by the site and what it told me or I thought it might have told me. Uh, and you cleared that up, so I appreciate that, and I hope you have a great 2024. You too, Tom. We do appreciate you calling. I'm going to go to Jerry from Boonville. Good morning, Jerry. How are you doing today, sir? Good. What's your question today? Uh, about a week, a little over a week, possibly two weeks. It's just getting worse. It, I have it right below my rib cage on my left side, and possibly on some, some occasions, uh, it's like a surface pain. It radiates to my back. And it's hard to sleep because it it's, doesn't feel like it's so much inside of the, in the organ, but I don't know what could be causing it. Do uh, you have any idea what might be the problem? Yeah, so uh, just a couple more questions to clarify that. You said on the left side, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. The, at the base of my ribs, it started real bad. Like, you can't touch the skin, it's, you know, but it's down it's under the skin, and then it radiates to the back back there that, on the, to my back. And, and how long have you had that? A little over a week, possibly, you know, more so. It's just gotten worse. I noticed uh, the whole week of Christmas vacation, for just a little part of that. And and you said it hurts to touch the skin. What about, like, when you get into bed, if a sheets or your shirt touches it, does it hurt then, too? Yeah. It, it does, yes, sir. I'm on, on. Yeah, I, I'm, I think this sounds an awful lot like shingles. Um, well... I thought about that. I've had my shingles vaccine, but it's and you can't see back on my skin. So, particularly in those individuals who have gotten the vaccine, you may not break out in a rash. But um, I would check with your physician. It's an easy thing to treat for up front in this case, and it can the pain can be alleviated sometimes in a, in about a week. If you take something like a, a acyclovir or valacyclovir, those are antiviral medications. Um, but I've, I've treated patients successfully and the pain's gone away, but if you can't see anything on the skin and you've got that much pain when you, when it brushes your skin, it makes sense to me too. It might be on your back because that's that same nerve. It it tends to follow one or two nerves as they wrap around the body. Um, but in, in individuals, particularly if your, you know, immune system has been boosted by that vaccine, that sometimes that's the only symptom that will come up, and it's pretty low risk to take the acyclovir or the valacyclovir. But that's prescription, correct? That is correct. Yeah, you'd have to see somebody for that and say, hey, I think I might have shingles here, and describe it the same way you did. I think that's probably what they're going to, what they would do. Well, I, I Google up some information, of course. It's, you know, not all of it's good stuff, but one mentioned possibly pancreatitis, and it causes you to have, you know, quite a bit of diarrhea and your urination is real weak. 
And I kind of follow some along that line of it also, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that might differentiate that is a couple of lab tests, too. So uh, when you get, when you see them, uh, you know, pancreatitis, two different ways that we diagnose that. One is direct imaging of the pancreas itself, but the other is there are certain enzymes that the pancreas makes that are sort of released during pancreatitis. Um, but that usually touching the skin doesn't cause the pain. It's more of like when you press deeply into the abdomen. Okay, gotcha. Well, what about the endocrine? I guess that's how you pronounce the word. Uh-huh. Uh, so the endocrine system comprises a lot of different organs and systems in the body that that regulate your hormones. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about sort of tying it back to the pain, I can't think of anything from an endocrine standpoint. Of course, the biggest, biggest endocrine organ you're talking about there would be pancreas and liver, Although uh, your intestines do secrete some hormones, too. You know, we tend to think about solid organs. Of course, there's the adrenal glands. But I don't hear anything in what you're saying that could be tied to the endocrine system. Okay. Well, I greatly appreciate that. And I dare, sir, I just hope you have a wonderful uh, new year coming up in front of you. And I do listen to your shows quite frequently. And I thank you for your answers. Thank you so much, Jerry. And good luck to you on, uh, on getting that treated. We're going to go to Wilma from Memphis. Good morning, Wilma. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I'm an above-the-knee amputee, seven years, and every now and then I'll have phantom pain. Mm. But for about the past 12 hours, every few minutes I'm having it. Do you have any suggestions? Did you? Let me ask a couple of questions. Did you have any type of injury to it in the last 24, 48 hours? Or did you? No. Have you been... uh Do you know, wear like a prosthesis too? Yes, I do. Okay. Was there any type? And it started. It started during the night when I did not have the prosthesis on. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and I know you know this, but um, phantom pain in an amputation um, is unfortunately it's a complication of having an amputation where you feel like you have pain that's distal, that's that's where that leg used to be. Or it's close to the end right. of the stomp. So, and so it, when, when I have the pain, then my thigh shimmers. Yeah. Oh, so it's so it's actually the the muscle is is contracting. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's fairly common too. Um, it is a really common. There are some medications that you can take for that. I was trying to sort of tease out if there might be some things that are causing it. You can have some changes in the muscle where it's contracting or whether it's in spasm that can actually cause the pain. And it doesn't have to be in your upper leg. It can feel like it's distal to that, like where the leg used to be before it was amputated. Um, But there are some medications that are normally used to treat neuropathic pain. So those are things like gabapentin and sertraline and amitriptyline that that may be useful in doing that. It's more of a long-term type treatment than a short-term type treatment. I'm not sure, though, what could have triggered it like that. Sometimes they do. It just sort of comes up out of nowhere, and you can't really pinpoint anything. But there may be other things, sometimes scar tissue. Seven years is a little outside of that, though, um, to have scar tissue that might be causing it. But um, but there may be. I've never had it go on like this for so long yeah i i would uh well i I would uh probably give them a call give your doctor a call 
Do you have a neurologist or somebody that, or an orthopedic surgeon that normally did you see for this no, from time to time? Primary, primary care. Okay. Though. Yeah, there there are some things like I said, things like gabapentin would probably be the thing I would I would try first. Um, but this is, you know, a, we use this with diabetic neuropathy. Any type of neuropathy, which this would be one type, would be something that you could treat it with. Okay. So-called primary care. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Hope you get some You're relief. Bye-bye. Thank you. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think, Ra- Think Radio. Thank Radio. Thank you for listening to Think Radio. Uh, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. We're going to go to James now from Gulfport. Good morning, James. Hi. Good morning. I have a question about um, my mouth, which might be kind of a dental question. You might want to refer me to a dentist, but I have several dentists and I have a urologist and I have a personal physician and every everything all my tests are fine they're all perfect so I'm not sick in any other way but um my teeth I never lost any of my original teeth until about three years ago but now the the fillings are falling out and taking parts of the tooth with it and um so I'm having weaker and weaker teeth so that I have to eat um, pate like a, mm-hmm. a cat. Um, and there's not a great deal of, like that that's worth, worth right. saying. I, right. I want to eat that, you know. So, um, but I know I have to eat to stay alive. And I've already lived a long, full life. I don't regret any part of it. Um, but I'm 87 now, and I just realized that my every day i have my teeth are a little bit weaker and little pieces of teeth are breaking off is there anything i can do with diet or i guess medication yeah that could yeah that? i think now the teeth the, the actual teeth themselves the enamel and everything that's laid down during development so you don't get to replenish that during your your lifetime but the way those teeth are in the sockets um that that's important and actually you know i, I if i were even at, at 87 i think uh you know your dentist a good dentist would want to preserve those teeth or preserve the ability for you to eat uh in a way because once you stop doing you know, using those muscles you're probably just going to lose more teeth because they get weaker in the sockets if you're not using them like that now there are certain things that can affect that because this is sort of an extension of bone, and they're they're seated in your maxilla, which is your jawbone. Um, things that can weaken any bone in the body can weaken uh, there, and um, you know sometimes even like medications can do that. So some of the the medications it may seem sort of counterintuitive that we use for osteoporosis can have a side effect of of weakening the bone in the jaw. But then you might also have vitamin D deficiency. Sometimes disorders of calcium can do that. So, you know, it, this is not typically something that a dentist would do. You might have to is check for those kinds of things. You might want to, you know, mention this to your primary care doctor and see if they might draw some labs. Because I, I, my, I'm just thinking of those right off the bat is I would probably want to make sure those at least – we're okay. If your vitamin D is low, that's an easy thing. A supplement can help raise that back up. Calcium disorders, if they're uh, caused by an overactive parathyroid gland or other things, then sometimes those can be can be um, 
can be treated as well. So at the very least, I would I would go those routes. But even like, you know, uh, talking you know to your dentist about a, a, a functional bridge or maybe even implants, if they think that that's a possibility, because the, the less you're going to be able to use those teeth, the probably the weaker they're going to get. Well, I suppose I suppose they will get weaker because at age eighty-seven and living only on social security, I don't have money to put crowns on different teeth. That, I already have five crowns in my mouth. Yeah, yeah, that is true, and it's you know dental procedures like that tend not to be as funded too well. Even if you do have you know a lot of insurance, they don't they don't do that as well. Um, but there are there are some you know a lot of times academic medical centers have some uh, some leeway where they can they can do those uh, types of procedures. But you may not have to have that. I think it's it's easy thing though to you know just tell your primary care doctor, hey, I've got this problem with my teeth. Do you think there's anything wrong with my bones or my jawbone that you could check lab wise? I think they would probably check things like that calcium and the vitamin D pretty quickly. And it's cheap, it's easy to get, um, and would be covered under you know Medicare or other other health plans. Yes, <clears throat> well, um, I take Insure every day. Uh huh. Good. And I Good. have I, I have done that I have done that for for years. Um, so um, I, I'm personally just my my opinion. I don't think I have any kind of deficiency in vitamins. I'm very conscious of getting all the vitamins that I'm supposed to have. Um, uh, but just to give you an idea that I'm not too stupid, I have a PhD in music history and literature. Oh, also that's have great. A doc- also have a doctor of musical arts and piano performance. And in my life, I was a concert pianist most of my life. Oh, that's but, great. But now, of course, my, my hand is changing. I see it. You know, the, the fingers are stiffer and they... They don't go where they where you want them to go, but that's that's a different topic. Just but just to give an idea that I do keep up on my my vitamins, and my primary physician really does. They they take my blood test every six months uh, to check for everything, and they keep telling me everything is just fine. So, yeah, they they may be checking for that, um, James, and I, I think that's that's good if you're you know taking that. Vitamin D deficiency in particular, even if you're taking vitamin D supplements over the counter, the amounts that are uh, needed to treat vitamin D deficiency are much, much higher and have to be prescription. So even if you're eating that in a regular diet, if you're getting it in Insure or through other supplements, it may not be to the levels that, you know, as long as they're checking for it. I don't typically check for that in everybody every six months, so it's not one of the regular things. I would only do it in uh, individuals where, you know, I had, you know, either symptoms or I had something else going on that I would be like, hey, I probably need to check that. That's just my opinion. But uh, it may, you know, if it's a, and again, that's an easy fix. That's an easy medication supplement, uh, a prescription supplement to take. Um, and it is in much higher doses than what you would get, say, as a uh, vitamin D over-the-counter supplement or in con- in uh, conjunction with uh, with uh, vitamin um, with calcium. Yeah, so I appreciate uh, what you have to say, and and uh, I just thought I would would call and see if there was any anything that you knew, especially that would keep keep me able to eat without having to drink nutritional drinks. 
Yeah, I, um, I, I would press those dentists. You know, if everything else is is okay, I'd press those dentists pretty hard on what other options they might have, even if you you know, if it might be uh, reaching out to an academic medical center because sometimes they'll do those procedures at a reduced rate or even uh, free in some instances. Yes. Well, do you, do you think it's it's wise to do that? Because at age eighty seven, I'm not going to be living much longer, surely. And, um, and yeah, so, I think I think and, I I would just like if it's an option, I would say, okay, is this? I mean, that that would be a discussion to have with them. And again, you're right up front. I'm not a dentist, uh, but I I would you know sort of defer to my dental colleagues about that. But uh, or, or oral surgeons to say, okay, this is worth it. This is not worth it. Yes. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking my call and uh, hearing my questions. And, of course, uh, I have plenty of time now that I'm retired totally. I have plenty of time to think about my entire life. Uh, what has, I've already had a full, beautiful, wonderful life. I, I don't regret a single day of it. But um, I, I realize that, that every time I start to eat something, I have to make sure that I go back to the to the, the couple of root canals that I, I have way on the back of one side of the mouth and, and then I do whatever little chewing I can do, I have to do it right there. Because if I do it anywhere else, um, I'm just liable to be having a piece of tooth fall out or sometimes an old crown coming off. Yeah, that is a tough situation. But I, is, I would I would press those dentists uh, a little bit more on that and say, hey, can you, can you give me alternatives uh, given all the other circumstances? Yes, well, I will do that. I will do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yes, sir, and thank you for calling. Lots of calls today. Always great calls and questions that uh, if you think you're the only one that has those, you're mistaken. Because we are here all the time. It's like, you know, I heard somebody call in the other day, and uh, that was exactly the question I had. So uh, we do appreciate all of our listeners and callers. And if you have a question that you uh, didn't quite get a chance to call in today on, you can always email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to William from Silver City. Good morning, William. Oh, are you there, William? Go ahead. Yes. I am not, of course, I'm all bad at it. And I know a lot of things happen today. I'm not going to go. But here's my dilemma. Of course, I'm fed. I guess that's why I'm they uh they kind of bust me and leave me and they find me all the red shot like they wave me to be from but I don't know William, I'm having a sort of a hard time understanding you, uh, but what I think I'm hearing is some pain in your hip and your knee. Um is that is that correct? No, Doctor, the, the pain is in my fingertips. My tips. Kind oh, of your fingertips. Okay, your fingertips. Did, did they change colors, or do they, do they uh, you know, like white or blue? No, they haven't seen the color. Yes, they're amazed on the blue. 
Yeah, I, I, it's really hard for me to hear, William. Let, let me just let me just take a stab at uh, just based on finger, uh, you know, pain in your fingertips and some of the things it might be, and and uh, my apologies for not being able to understand all of that. A uh, couple of different things come to mind. So you can have a neuropathy, which is damage to the nerves of the fingers. And it can be caused by a number of things. Sometimes vitamin deficiencies can do that, like B12 um, deficiency. Again, that's an easy test to get. That would be a blood test to check those levels. Or if you have other medical conditions, uh, you can have it. So um, type 2 diabetes, uh, well, any type of diabetes will do that. And it tends to have a pattern of what we call stocking and gloves. So it's like the hands and the feet. Um, and you can have that if you have an entrapment of the nerves where they come out of the neck. And uh, I have seen some patients that had uh, cervical disc problems in their neck that were having some numbness or pain in their fingertips. So the the best thing would be, you know, getting a doctor to do an exam on you, making sure that that uh, if there is some some sensory loss in those fingers along with the pain, that would be good to know. Um, but uh, I would do that first and then sort of go from there. And they may want to do some imaging of your neck uh, or some further blood tests to help sort of narrow that down. So with, with what I could hear, I think that's the best I'm going to be able to give you this today. But I would, you know, if you haven't seen somebody about that, I probably would do that. If you have, maybe push to see a neurologist. So those are the experts with nerves, and uh, they might can, can give you some, uh, some direction on that. All right, we're going to go to Sean from Olive Branch. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for calling. I'm scheduled to have surgery on my hands, carpeton on my left and right hand, and trigger finger on my right hand. Yeah. And I'm just wanting the doc. I want he wanted me to get the carpeton surgery on both hands at the same time, but I was I don't know. You think I should do that or just? Yeah, I've had I've had some patients that had both done at the same time. I've had some that had one done and then had the other one done. It's really about what you're going to be able to do after the recovery. Uh, you know, most hand surgeons are very good at, at doing this type of surgery. It's a minimal risk surgery to do. Um, if you're having a lot of problem with carpal tunnel, you usually get a good response. But the recovery... Um, with those can be, you know, sort of weeks where you're not able to pick up heavy things. So, you know, if, for instance, if you have young children, uh, you're not going to be able to do much and you need to think about that. And that might be a reason to delay doing one of those until after you get, you get, uh, you know, one, uh, one fixed first. The trigger finger, that's something that's pretty, pretty easy to fix too. Yeah. I had that before. yeah. But here quickly. But that would be the biggest thing I would um, I would okay. ask is like okay so what is my projected recovery time with this and what am I going to be able to do particularly picking things up or using your hands and again if your job or if you're you know the things around the house even if that's going to interfere with that in a big way then you may want to say hey can we do this one at a time rather okay. than you know both of them at the same time because because it can't you're not you're not going to be able to just to jump into doing stuff you know right right back like you were because i was going to take two weeks off you know medical leave on my job so would that help yeah that would definitely help it particularly if you're having both of them 
uh, done. But uh, again, I would ask, what is the rec? Because they're not going to be able to pinpoint down, you know, the exact amount of time, of course, yeah. but they can say, you know, this is the usual amount of time. And I'd be as specific as you could. Like, what are you going to need, need to be able to do at the end of that two weeks to get back okay. into work? And okay. is that a, a reasonable amount of time based on, you know, their experience in the past of doing it? Um, the other thing is, and I know they'll do this, but occupational therapy will be your friends right after this and will work with you. So keep in mind, that's really key to getting better quickly. Some people will uh, try to shortchange that and say, you know what, I don't really have time to go to them. I'm just going to do the best I can at home. But they yeah. can really help in that recovery period. And I've seen some people that were longer in their recovery just because they didn't take advantage of that. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. And we have a happy new year. You too, Sean. And uh, thank you for calling. We do appreciate it. Wow. That is a great hour. I just want to say thank you to everybody. And, you know, I was reflecting on the past year and from a Southern Remedy standpoint, we just can't say how much we appreciate you, our listeners, um, and the people who call in consistently with all kinds of, of uh, questions that are very common to everybody in our listening area and do help out other people when you call. You may think you're the only person out there uh, with that call, but it does extend out to other people and gets them the answers uh, that they need to have in addition to you. So we do appreciate that. We appreciate your support, of course, to this MPB Think Radio Station uh, program and uh and all the other programs that are produced here because that's, we pretty much do this just to uh, as a service to the state. And uh, we hope that we uh, do that in a way that gives you those answers for your health. And I uh, look forward to doing that in the next year. And uh, speaking of thanks, I want to thank our producer, uh, Kevin Farrell, too. So Kevin keeps me on track, which is a bit like herding cats most of the time. And uh, always handy with a question uh, that is pertinent to uh, to uh, his his health or somebody else, a theoretical person's health. Let's say that. So, Dr. Jimmy, I know that you started out, I think, with uh, the Kids and Teens show and then migrated over here to the original. How, how long have you been helping us out? I, I'm trying to remember. I think the first time when I was on Kids and Teens, I think that was 2014. I think it was the fall of 2014, if I remember. So that's... This will be 10 years uh, in the fall with both of those shows. Of course, I think Dr. DeShazo, it was maybe 2000. I can't remember when he when he retired, uh, maybe 2017. It may have been after 2017. But, um, yeah, time flies when you're having fun, right, Kevin? This has been a great adventure so far and looking forward to this year, too. But, wow, 10 years. Yeah, that's a long time. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at UMMC. Southern Remedy is produced by Kevin Farrell, and the podcast producer is Abram Nanny. You can tune in to MPB Think, Think Radio every weekday morning at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.